Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. I had planned on finishing this last week, but <laughs> didn't quite get to it, so I want to kind of do a follow-up. Um, last time that we were together in these verses 1 and 2, uh, we looked at there will be a future hope. And we talked about the setting, and we talked about the darkness and the light. Uh, Israel had gone into bondage. The northern kingdom had fallen uh, to the hands of the Assyrians. And uh, later, the southern kingdom would also fall to the Babylonians, and they would all be in captivity. So when it, the Bible says here that uh, Isaiah writes, they have walked in darkness, uh, the darkness is the issue of captivity. And then we looked at the joy part. They'll come back. And then, of course, Cyrus the Great, uh, the uh, Syrian or uh, the Persian king, came back and liberated the Israelites. And he allowed them to go back to Palestine and go home. And so you can imagine at that point, after 70 years in captivity, they were ready to be home. So this is where we pick up the narrative, and it's uh, there will be a future hope and freedom from bondage. And the last part of this sermon was when the Messiah arrives, and so well presented this morning by our kids. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When we think about this verse, it's obviously foreshadowing the day that Christ would come. We knew that he would come from Bethlehem. Uh, and so this is a foreshadowing of the future Messiah, the one who would ultimately deliver not only the nation of Israel from its sins, but the world of its sins. And he would eventually go... Uh, to the cross. We talk here about God in flesh. It says for us, a son or a child is born. Never forget that Jesus Christ came to this earth from heaven, gave up the throne in heaven, came to this earth to be born of a virgin, which again, the kids did a great job with. He comes in flesh. And we read in John chapter 1, Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This word became flesh. Jesus Christ was the word. He was the logos. He was the son of God. He came to this earth and uh, John writes it this way. Uh, he dwelt among us. And that word dwelt in the Greek means he tabernacled among us. Think of Paul's writings when Paul said, when, this, when I shed this tent, I go to be with Jesus. Jesus tabernacled. He came down as a perfect, it's a perfect image because you have this, think of Jesus in a tent, which is the flesh and Jesus living inside of it. When that shed, when that uh, tent is folded up, Jesus goes back to the Father. So here we have Jesus, think of this, Jesus, the Son of God, left his throne in glory, which was actually 
predicted even before the foundations of the world, left that throne to come down here to become a child. And uh, many scholars believe the stable was more of a, of a cave type situation. Think about that. You have the Son of God who created this world coming down to this earth and instead of being born in a palace, the Son of God who will redeem the world is born in a cave with animals. It's quite amazing that God would go, think about it, God would go to that length to rescue us and to redeem us from our sins. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Uh, Natan is the word there for given. It does mean a form of grace, but ultimately it means a place, and the place here is on earth. Jesus Christ came to this world to become the Savior of the world for those who would trust in him. Uh, we finished our play this morning, our pageant, uh, with John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. That was the mission of Jesus. Uh, quite, quite amazing when you think about this time of year and I can't believe we got <laughs> two weeks now before we have our Christmas Eve service, two Sundays from now. It's going quite fast. It's amazing to me how people are not threatened by a baby. Have you ever noticed that? They don't have a problem. The world doesn't have a problem with baby Jesus. But when Jesus grows up and begins saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father except through me, and that it's an exclusive location, and Jesus says, wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to life. At that point, the world begins having a problem with Jesus. Most people aren't going to have a problem with the baby. Maybe some do. I, I mean, they want to characterize everybody. But here you have Jesus, the Son of God. It's still, it's, it's so unbelievable. So unbelievable the way that the the Christmas narrative unfolds. But Jesus comes to this, word, uh, to this uh, world and God says, I'm going to give you a son. Not only a son, his only son, God sends to this earth to redeem us. And the government shall be on his shoulders. When Isaiah wrote this, it was not fun to be in government. Uh, you can imagine the northern kingdom, the leaders had become corrupt. They were completely corrupt, and that's why God humbled them. We read that in verse 1, where God humbled the nation of Israel because of the leadership. So being in government was not something that was good to do, if you will. Uh, Spence Jones, in his commentary, writes this, government was regarded as a burden to be born on the back or the shoulders and was sometimes symbolized by a key laid upon the shoulder. It, and this is interesting. When I went back through and I read most of Isaiah in, in chapter 22, verse 22, that's the easy way to remember it. We read this, and I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. 
He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. Listen, what Jesus Christ does, man cannot undo. And he will come and he will establish the throne of David no matter what happens. I want us to understand this this morning. When we talk about government and we look at our culture and we look at America in specifics, when we look at America today, it looks bad. But I want to tell you something. God is in control. God is on the throne. He is moving these events to the culmination of the great return of Jesus Christ. And we have to hold to that. And, and the Bible in 22 says basically, whatever Jesus does, it will stand and man cannot undo. So we look at all the events that are taking place in the Middle East. And October 7th, when Israel was attacked, I... I was, I was troubled in all the atrocities that took place. But ultimately, these events are leading us to the return of Christ. And so, very strongly, and I will place on him the key of the house of David. God established Jesus Christ on the throne of David. David was the king of Israel, the most popular, although he did have some issues. But God still said he was a man after my own heart. And so God promised that the Messiah would establish the throne of David. Man can't thwart that, by the way. And they, they've tried through, you know how many times they've tried to destroy the Bible? And they can't? I think one of the Pharisees had it right. The more you keep pushing, I'm paraphrasing, uh, the more you keep pushing on this, it's, you're just spreading it. Why don't we just let it go and see if it, if, if it sticks? If it sticks, it's from God. Well, let me tell you something. It's from God. We don't worship Buddha. We don't worship Muslims, God. We worship the true living Savior, Jesus Christ, is think about this for a minute the exclusiveness of the christian message we are the only religion and i use those religions in a false sense we are the only religion that boasts a risen savior think about that jesus said i am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father except through me that's exclusive and that's exactly why people push back on it you mean I'm a sinner? Yes. Can't mention the word sin. Even in pulpits today, people are afraid to mention that. Pastors are afraid to mention it. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Four titles here are given to the Messiah. The first title is Wonderful Counselor. He is skilled at giving wise advice. It, you, ever, you ever read through the Gospels? I think it's good. You read through the Gospels, and you will see, you will see, when Jesus is confronted, when, when Jesus is confronted, he always knows exactly how to respond to the ones who are actually trying to trap him. Jesus gives wide, a wise counsel, and guess what? He still does. Many of you can attest to that. 
That's Jesus Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I'm, I'm just amazed at how, how the Pharisees could not understand, the Sadducees could not understand, the, the, the law experts of the day could not understand that Jesus was the Messiah. I think part of it was they had a corrupt system. The priesthood was, by and large, corrupt at the time Jesus came. So they were trying to trip Jesus up, but they couldn't because he was God. He had wise counsel. He would look at people and know exactly what they're thinking. How could he do that? He did that because he was the son of God and he knows the hearts of men. And so Isaiah projects this day when he will be a wonderful counselor, and he still is. Many of you know this in your personal lives. You know that Jesus is a wise counselor. He counsels you and me through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He will be a mighty God. And by the way, you all do realize we worship a mighty God. <laughs> do you know that someday Satan is going to be defeated he will be locked up with his followers and they will spend eternity separated from the presence of God. Our God is a mighty God. He is a mighty warrior. And by the way, Jesus still fights for his people. And there's coming a day when we will destroy as believers with Jesus Christ as our commander. You go to the battle of Armageddon, Satan will be wiped out. It'll be done. It'll be finished. He will be a mighty warrior. Uh, I can't help but think that Isaiah was thinking also about the, uh, about the day that the Israelites would be delivered and Cyrus the Great would come in. Oh, what a day that was for them. Do you know what it's like to be delivered from bondage? I see that uh, Hamas is releasing a lot of these captives. I think about living in fear and trembling. What that was like when they were able to return to their loved ones. And, and think about this in the sense of a spiritual deliverance. You and I, before we trusted in Christ, we were in bondage. We might have been good people. We might have been people that obeyed the law. We might have, but we were still sinners. And that's why Christ came. He came to die on a cross to pay for our sins so that we could be free and that the shackles of sin and death could be removed by Jesus Christ. He's the everlasting Father. Before time began, Jesus existed. You ever, you ever try, to, try to think about that? There was, think, think about this for a minute. There was never a time that Jesus did not exist. There was never a time that God did not exist. And there was never a time that the Holy Spirit did not exist. They have always existed. And in our little finite, uh, little, little minute minds, it's hard for us to get this idea of eternity. There, that it never ends. But yet, 
He will be the everlasting father. And this Jesus, who was at the beginning, and by the way, you read Genesis 1, you see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit at work in Genesis 1. Well, before that time, they always were. And there's this idea, or this thought, should be a thought, that before God created the world, he already knew the end. And that the world events, King David, uh, uh, rise, the fall of Israel, back and forth over the history of time. God saw that. And so you have God who is out of time and, and, and out of our space uh, like this, creation already pulling the events towards the end of time. There was never a time that Jesus did not exist. And God knew, God knew Genesis chapter 3, that man would fall. He knew that. It didn't shock him. He didn't go, oh, now what do I do? God already knew that. And from the beginning, Ephesians says, from the beginning of the foundations of the world, he had planned to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross. And everything was in place. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. There's so many different biblical writers, and it's just, it, you can't possibly orchestrate something this masterful as humans. I mean, you just, you just think about it. God said, okay, at this point in history, man's going to fall. At this point in history, Israel's going to have to have a way to have righteousness. So I'm going to give them the law, which was 430 years after Abraham's promise in Genesis 12, where God says, get out of the land and I will show you and I will make you the father of many nations. And then all this history goes on. It's thousands of years here going on. And, and finally, at just the right time, and I can't wait to get to there in Christmas Eve sermon, is one of my favorites, Galatians chapter 4. That's a preview of coming attractions. In which Christ came at just the right time. And again, I... I love what uh, Tammy and Holly and the kids did today. Uh, it, that, when it's kids, it comes from the heart. And, but it, at just the right time, Christ came to this world. Not a surprise to God. God was overseeing and moving world events because he is outside of time, outside of space, uh, I love taking a telescope and looking at the, at the nebula and the double stars and, and all of these things and think, wow, God created that. I'm totally different than some of the guys in our astronomy group. They look at it technically. I look at it as, wow, God. That's amazing. Quite amazing. And God did all of this. He knows this. So it's quite... It, Seriously, you can't make this stuff up. How could Isaiah have known 500 and some odd years later that the Messiah would come? How did he know that? He wrote about it because God told him to. Actually, this is an apologetic for God, by the way, that God knows and has always known that the heart of man is sinful, and yet God loved us and wanted to bring man into a relationship with him. And he can only do that if he's God and outside of time. He has this whole thing planned out. 
He is the Prince of Peace. Many scholars at that time believed it was the end of war, which it, it was. And of course, uh, there was wars and rumors of wars, Jesus said, would take place. It is also a reminder of a spiritual peace. October 12th, 1981 was the day that my war ended. On that day, I was no longer an enemy of God, but I had trusted in Jesus Christ and became a child of God. what he will do of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end listen to these words of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore Isaiah writing this, uh, what the sun will do, number one, the sun will expand his kingdom. It will be a kingdom of peace. And, and, and in some sense, in some sense, that kingdom is still expanding. When you tell somebody about Jesus Christ and you tell them the peace that could be found in Christ, and they receive Christ, though their war with God in a spiritual sense is over. Because when Jesus Christ was on the cross, the wrath of God was being poured out on him so it would not be poured out on me and you. And so when you tell somebody about Jesus Christ, there is an expansion. And, and, and by the way, and it's hard to look at, I totally get it. But when the church, like in, in around the world right now, when the church is being persecuted, it is in those moments that the church grows the fastest. Did you know that? Persecution brings advancement of the gospel. And it's not fun to look at. It is rather difficult. Because as we sit here warm and comfortable this morning, there are brothers and sisters around the world that are being killed for their faith. And yet, from this, God will continue to grow his government, this peace. Um, Dr. Lee, when I was in Bible college, he said this, true peace was and is more than the absence of hostility between people. That is, Hamas, Israel. It also involves a right relationship with God. Thus, Isaiah described a spiritual ruler that will know no limits. It will be universal. Listen, the gospel, the gospel is for the world. The gospel is, doesn't matter whether you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic. It does, does not matter. The gospel is for everyone. And those who come to saving faith in Christ are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as we live our lives and as we share the gospel, we are sharing good news. The good news is that you can be saved and go to heaven. And if you don't, if you don't and you reject Christ, as your Lord and Savior, you will spend eternity separated from God in hell. Jesus said it's the place where 
the worm burns but never dies. And that's why we call it the good news. The good news is you don't have to go there. It's amazing how God loved us so much that he sent his son. He will rule on the throne of David. He has the key. And of course, today we think of the throne of David in heaven, that he is reigning in heaven. And by the way, you have an advocate with the Father, 1 John chapter 2. You have an advocate with the Father. And that advocate, Jesus Christ, tells God about you and about me. Wonderful. James Smith writes this. As a descendant of David, he would sit on David's throne and rule David's kingdom. Since David sat on the throne of God, that's in 1 Chronicles 29, 23, and ruled God's kingdom, these terms are not to be interpreted narrowly, physically, and earthly. The New Testament testifies that Christ, the son of David, is seated on the throne of God in, in heaven. And when Jesus died and he defeated death, he rose from the dead and went to be with the Father and took the place of honor and prestige at the right hand of God. And so when a believer passes from this life to the next, they go to be in the presence of God. Isn't that That's wild. I know many of you know uh, Emmett uh, waiting for him to see Jesus. What an, what an amazing moment that would be. And just amazing. When, when we cross that line, we go to see Jesus face to face. Brothers and sisters, I've been a pastor 34, 35, I kind of lost now, but I've had some amazing experiences with people, Christians, passing from this life to the next. Amazing. I don't have enough time in this sermon to talk about it, but it's amazing. How wonderful it is to know that when that person left this life, they go to be with him. And... The New Testament testifies that Christ is at the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession for us. He will reign, this was Isaiah's big one, I think. He will reign with justice and righteousness. Do you remember back when we started chapter 9 that the, the setting was that the Israelite leaders in the north were corrupt? They lacked faithfulness. They didn't trust God. They trusted in themselves. They lacked justice. People were wrongly accused and wrongly treated. And they lacked righteousness. And that's exactly why God said, nope, nope. And the Israelites, all the time. But God had a plan. And by the way, God has a plan for your life. Sometimes you may not see it, 
And this is what makes God so awesome. He has a plan for the world, and he has a plan for you and me. And I bet you if we could sit here, if we stop this sermon, I'm not going to, but if we sat here, I bet you we could come up in a matter of a minute or two, 20 things that we know we're supposed to do as believers. I actually did that one time years ago here, and we had a, we had a list that God has a purpose for your life. Go tell people. Tell people about Jesus. Love people. Care for them. Tell them about Jesus and what he's done in your life. Live for him. Give him your life. Lay down your life for him. And I can just tell you, it, it'll be awesome. It won't always be easy, but it'll be awesome. Let me kind of close this, these verses 9, 1 through 7. There's never a moment in your life and mine when we are truly without hope. Because we have hope in our heart in the presence of Jesus Christ. Here's another thing. Please remember this. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. You, you can trust him. You can't trust in the federal government. You can't trust in the stock market. You can't trust in your job. But you can trust in God. Trust him. Trust him. God has a plan. We will be victorious. Yesterday, boy, that Army-Navy game, I did get to see the fourth quarter. Did you see that game yesterday? I watched it because I was pulling for the Navy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> pulling for the Army. Army got up 17-3 to with like four minutes left, and I, I'm, I'm dancing around the house. The game's over. It's done. No, no, it wasn't. Navy rushed right back down in a minute and a half and scored a touchdown. They missed a two-point conversion, and it was at that point uh, 17 to 11. And I thought, okay, if Army just sits on the ball, they'll run out the clock. And boy, I'm going to tell you, I wish I'd have had that on my PowerPoint. Navy drives the ball down to the one-yard line. It's fourth and goal from the one. There's three seconds left. Three seconds left in the game. Uh, John, or Jim, I'm sorry about this. Navy fought hard, but... At the goal line, the quarterback tries to sneak it across, and you see this massive wall of Army and Navy pushing together, stopping at the half-yard line. That's how the game ended. And Army was victorious. Let me tell you, we will be victorious. There is coming a day when we win and Satan and his followers lose. Please, this Christmas season, share the gospel. Share the gospel.